I wonder if you ever in your life have felt, in and of yourself, acceptable to God. Acceptable, worthy, worth it. I imagine if you are a believer, the answer would be no. In order to be a believer, the very thing we need is to realize that we are unacceptable to God. And that no matter what we bring is unacceptable to God. That's the only way to come to faith in the Lord Jesus, is to realize how unacceptable we truly are. That, that of ourselves, all of the righteous things and good things we could ever do never amounts to the righteousness enough to outweigh the bad. The moment-by-moment selfish thoughts that are contrary to the nature and character of God, nothing will outweigh that. So in and of ourselves, we are never acceptable. In and of ourselves, do we ever even become acceptable? If we just look at ourselves, the answer is constantly no. We're not acceptable to God. Our, Our righteousness is like filthy rags in and of ourselves. But there is a way we may be made acceptable in the sight of our holy God. A God who is holy and pure and just and knows all things and has justice fastened on his mind. He is just and all justice flows from him. And yet we can stand before him called accepted. Accepted. That's unbelievable to me. That's really at the heart of the gospel. How do I go from unacceptable, unaccepted, a stranger, a foreigner, an enemy of God to a son, a daughter, a co-heir with Christ, one who is welcome and acceptable to God? It makes no human sense. That's the beauty of the gospel, is it makes no human sense. So divine. So divine. I want to read with you this morning from Romans chapter 15. And we see Paul's heart of his ministry that he was um, given by Christ directly is to the Gentiles. And I want us to notice some things of what he says specifically about that in Romans chapter 15. Romans 15, and I'll begin reading at verse 14. And I'll read through 20, just for context. This morning we'll look specifically at verses uh, 15 and 16. But here's God's word, Romans chapter 15, starting at verse 14. It says this. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. By the signs and the, uh, by power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around, Elycrium 
I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. I'll stop there. This is an amazing little portion where Paul speaks of really what he, he opens the book with in his heart for his desire to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, specifically to those who were not uh, historically a part of the family of God, those who were not the Jewish people. And Paul says that this is where he is aiming to go. This is what he is aiming at because he knows that God deserves praise from all people of all nations. But here it's interesting. So we looked at uh, verse 14 uh, last week. This Paul being satisfied, convinced that they were full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and able to instruct one another. You see the importance of the one another's, the discipleship model, caring for one another's souls, how that is of utmost importance in the church. And it's only then that the people are full of goodness collectively, full of goodness, filled with all wisdom and knowledge, and able to instruct. It's not one person instructing, it is all people instructing each other in the things of the Lord. So Paul says that last week, and then he goes on in verse 15. says, but on some point, so he says, you're able to instruct one another. I'm satisfied. I'm convinced that you are uh, mature enough five seconds after you're, you're a believer. You have enough in you to be able to declare the gospel to another person, to be able to encourage them in their faith. I believe that. I'm convinced of that. He says, but on some points, I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder. He says, you have needed a reminder, some bold reminders to uh, remember the gospel, really, by way of reminder. He says bold. Boldly, he speaks in, in Romans chapter 12, for example, he says this, which is bold. For by the grace given me, again, it's by grace. It's not by my own uh, agenda. It's not by uh, my own desire for anything, but it's by grace. It's by uh, an unmerited love of God. By grace given to me, Romans 12, 2 says, I tell everyone among you, do not think of himself more highly than he should think. That's some bold words of Paul. They cut to each heart. If you truly hear those words and you believe those words, don't think of yourself more highly than you should think. Each of us uh, needs to hear that. The church at Rome needed to hear that. The church at West Lorne needs to hear that. Each of us should not think of ourselves more highly than they ought. That cuts to the heart. That's bold speaking. It's a, it's a way of reminder that in Christ you cannot be proud. You cannot be arrogant. In life, in this world, there is no place for arrogance at the cross. And so that's a, a bold reminder, a reminder of what it is you came to and what it is you're to live. So Paul says, I spoke boldly by way of reminder, as Peter often said, that he was to remind the people constantly of their need of Christ. Second Peter 1.12, Peter says this, Therefore, I will always remind you about these things, even though you know them. And are established in the truth you now have. He says, I will always remind you. You don't get to move past gospel 101. You don't get to move past the gospel. I'm always going to remind you that for your sin, you need a savior. I'm always going to remind you that that salvation is always by grace. I'm always going to remind you that you come in faith alone. I'm always going to remind you that it's not your own doing. 
I'm always going to remind you that there is mercy. I'm going to remind you of that because you need to know it. But I'm going to also remind you that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That's a reminder that I need constantly. And I think you need because Paul thought the church at Rome needed it. Romans 8.1, right? There's no condemnation. Do you remember that? When you feel the condemnation from within and from without saying, oh, you're so not worthy. You're so not acceptable before God. This condemnation is coming saying, no, see, if you evaluate who you are and what your heart just did, you don't deserve God and he's not going to love you or forgive you. But we must have a way of reminder, especially Romans 8.1, that we're not condemned because Christ has been condemned already. There is no condemnation left for you and for me. We need that reminder. Peter also said in, in 2 Peter, in, again in chapter 3, he said, Dear friends, this is now the second letter I've written to you. In both letters, I want to stir up your sincere understanding by way of reminder so that you recall the words previously, previously spoken by the holy prophets and the command of our Lord and Savior given through the apostles. You need a sincere understanding, not one that will falter or fail, not one that will change with the times or your situation or what you're feeling today or what the sin you may have done is. You need a sincere understanding of the gospel, that it is enough, that Christ is sufficient. So Peter says, I need to remind you of that. Paul says, you need a reminder of that. You need a reminder of, of what the Christian character looks like. He's just come out of chapter 14 reminding them that if you are in Christ, you don't have the place of judgment. You ought not try to make a judgment on another person's soul and say that they're in Christ or not in Christ because of an opinion they have. That's something that they were prone to and we are prone to on both ends of the spectrum. Someone more liberal than you, you think, I don't know if they're a believer. Other people who are maybe uh, a little more free think, well, you're a tightwad and you clearly don't believe the gospel because the gospel is about freedom. You have this, this infighting. And Paul addresses it very sharply in chapter 14. He says, it's unacceptable. It's unacceptable for believers to act that way. Don't infight. Don't, don't try to say who's a faithful brother or not because they do this or don't do that. If they believe the gospel, chapter 14 says that's sufficient. If in their heart they are honoring Christ as Lord and, and giving thanks to him, and what they're doing is not what God has defined as sin or robbing him of glory... Stay out of it. Encourage them in their faith. That's what chapter 14 says. It's very bold. And it speaks especially to our time where Christians are so divided on political issues and issues in our world, like what you should do that or don't do that. And then they're, based on those decisions, they're calling other people, I don't know if you're a faithful Christian because you didn't do that. They need to read Romans 14. And stop it. It's unacceptable Christian behavior. So that's why Paul says, I'm speaking to you boldly because we don't want to ruin our own testimony before others, but we also don't want to bite and devour one another. Because we need one another. Uh, the previous verse just said that in verse 14. We need each other to instruct one another. We need to be taught. We need to be learning from one another. Those who are less mature, those who've only been a Christian for five minutes, those who've been a Christian for 55 years, we need each other, and we can't let opinions or secondary matters get in the way of that. We can't let the disagreements on tertiary doctrine get in the way of that. We need one another. And more and more, as the days grow dark and as uh, the world hates Christianity, we need one another. Set your differences aside. 
does this person honor Christ? Is what they're doing honoring in their own way? You might, you might not think it's the way you might honor God, but is it sufficient for them? Then encourage them in their faith. Set yourself aside for the sake of the gospel going forward. I love what Paul says here in verse 15. He says, um, some points I have written to you by way of reminder. Not just to the Romans, not just said it once, but it's written. And I'm so thankful it's written as a way of reminder. This whole book of Romans, this, this reminder that you need, that I need constantly. Aren't you glad it's written down? Imagine if you had to try to remember this. If your Bibles were suddenly taken from your home, would you remember the book of Romans? No way. We should, but we don't. And so Paul says, uh, I've written this to you. Read it and read it and read it again. Take it in. And it's an encouragement to us, too. We have the instruction of the entire Bible. Should we read it? This instruction written, we ought to read it. And it reminds us. So then the question is, how often are we reminded of truth? Or are we just, as we read, read words on a page? Does this remind us of our sinfulness? Does this remind us of the gospel, the glory, the grace, the future, the hope? And you can really kind of gauge what you're reminded of based on your own heart at this moment. How are you feeling? Are you discouraged? Are you guilt-ridden? Are you a little bit hopeless? Are you concerned? Are you full of fear? What is it that's in your heart? Because then that tells you what you need a reminder of in the gospel. It tells you where you need to go in the gospel. It's amazing what these reminders do to us. And I think our own hearts remind us of where we need to go. And that's why Christian community is really important. That we can't just do this thing on our own because what's a reminder from within? Like if you needed a reminder, it was not from your own self. A reminder is a piece of paper telling you again. It's another person telling you again. You can't remind yourself. That doesn't exist. You need to be in community. You need to have an external source remind you. So it's so important to be among the people of God who can remind you of the truth. When you're down and you are hopeless, it's a good thing to have someone remind you of the hope that you have in Christ. When you are guilt-ridden, it's a good reminder to have another person come alongside you, preach the gospel, and remind you. We need these reminders if we're going to do anything. And so Paul says to them, I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder. Because of, he kind of gives the reason that he's able to do this. He says, because of the grace given me by God. He says, I've been shown grace. It's by God. And this grace was not just in his salvation, that God rescued him out of uh, like horrible sin. But this grace of the ministry he now feels. He feels it is a gift. That he has the ability, and not just the ability, but the heart and the passion to go and tell others. He, he considers that a grace. Because of the grace given me, and we know specifically now, he says, to be a minister of Christ Jesus. To be a servant. Minister here is not just an official title of someone employed by a church. This is servant. He, he says, the grace given me by God to serve Christ. The same grace given to you, given to me. To, the grace to, to serve the people. And he says, they're specific here. To be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. 
He's serving Christ, which is so interesting, right? Because Christ came not to be served, but to serve. But yet now we speak of serving Christ. Well, how, how is it that we serve Christ? Well, we serve his cause. We serve his purpose. We realize that he is a king who's not over us with a whip, but instead a king we so rightly want to uh, give adoration to. We, we want other people to come along and see this loving, gentle, and just king. We want this. And so we want to be a minister. We want to be a servant of Christ in every regard. We want to bring people, that, that make that our job, to, to bring people to Christ Jesus. And Paul says here specifically, he was called to be a minister of Christ Jesus, specifically to the Gentiles. To the Gentiles. And this is, this is true. So when Paul, originally, Saul, was heading to persecute, and he was struck, and he went, and he was praying, and he was waiting for those scales to come off his eyes. And Ananias was told in Acts chapter 9, um, Ananias was told by the Lord, it says, The Lord said to him, Go to Paul, to Saul, for this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to the Gentiles. He's God's chosen instrument. This was something that Paul was set apart for. He was consecrated to, even at his very conversion, he was also consecrated to suffer. Christ said in that very moment, he will see how much he must suffer. So he had this ministry, it's of Christ, it's to the Gentiles, to be an instrument. It's God's chosen instrument, specifically to these people. What's amazing is, what that part that Paul got to play in fulfilling God's promises, fulfilling God's plan. Malachi uh, 1.11 says, uh, God speaking, My name will be great among the nations. From the rising of the sun to its setting, incense and pure offerings will be presented in my name in every place, because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of armies. So Paul says, by that grace given me, I have a privilege to be a part of God's promise fulfilled. His name being great among the nations, including the Gentiles. Paul is privileged. He says, this grace given to me, I want to serve. And I'm going to do it no matter how bold I need to be, no matter how difficult this must be, no matter what comes, I will serve. He says it again in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul does. He says, this grace given to me, the least of all the saints, to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of Christ. Considers it a grace. Like, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve not just my salvation, but I don't deserve the opportunity to share it with other people. It's amazing what Paul recognizes that this grace from God. Well, he goes into an interesting conversation here because it says... Look at your verse, verse 15 there. Because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God. It's very interesting because nowhere in the New Testament do we have this idea that a gospel minister is, is like a priest or even a priestly service. We don't need that, right? The priesthood is of all believers because it's done away with in Christ. The great high priest. So it's interesting that Paul uses this language, but 
he's using it because of where he goes in speaking of offering and sacrifice. And really, he takes his job on as the, the priest, as the servant of the gospel of God, to bring those people to the altar. That's where, how he refers to himself in the priestly service. And it's not the priestly service of the temple or the tabernacle or the law, but it's the priestly service of the gospel of God. The gospel of God. Even that phrase is interesting. It's not just the gospel. It's not just the good news, but it's the gospel of God. This is the service. Again, he's reminding them of what he is up to. This is how he begins the book of Romans. Chapter 1 and verse 1. He refers to himself, Paul, a servant, not a priest, a servant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. Think about the Old Testament priests, the Levites. What were they? They were set apart for the ministry of God. They were set apart. That was their job. Everything they did was to uh, make sure that the ministry of God was fulfilled among the people. All that they needed to do. is amazing. So Paul says, I'm a servant of Christ, but I'm set apart for the gospel of God. He says a little further down in chapter 1, in verse 5, Through Christ we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of the faith for the sake of his name among all the Gentiles. So again, he points back to his, his specific commission that he feels is the Gentiles, those who've, who've never even heard of a Messiah, perhaps. But he says, it's through grace that I'm to bring about obedience of faith. Obedience of faith. All the temple worship, all the sacrifices, all the things that you read in Leviticus and Exodus is all about obedience. And here he says, part of my commission, part of my job is to bring obedience of faith in the Gentiles. And it's for the sake of his name. He's doing the exact work of the high priest, Jesus. He's just acting like a Levite who's, who's bringing them, who's like doing the secondary ministry of bringing them to the priests. He's bringing them all to Jesus. Paul doesn't mention Jesus as high priest here. But it may be suggested. This priest and this office of priesthood that he's talking about is not the one who makes atonement. He is not the one who offers sacrifices on their behalf. He brings them to offer a sacrifice. He brings them to the atonement. Instead, he, he brings them to the sacrifice that has already been made. And it's the power of the Holy Spirit that applies it to each person. He goes there. He says, In the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. The offering of the Gentiles. What is that? What are they offering? In the Old Testament, they would bring an animal without blemish. Without blemish. So what then do the Gentiles have to bring? And here, 
The goal is so that the offering may be acceptable. Accepted. Like, God rejected blemished animals. It was not acceptable. Had they lied about it and brought one that they, they knew they had a better lamb on the side, but they brought the secondary one, it was rejected. God did not accept unble- or sorry, blemished sacrifice. So here, how could the Gentiles offer something that may be acceptable? Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 shows us. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercies, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing or acceptable to God. This is your true or spiritual worship. I love that verse because it doesn't just say, bring your good deeds Bring your righteousness. Bring your body. He says, in view of God's mercy. What is the height of God's mercy? What is the pinnacle of God's mercy? In view of Christ. In view of the gospel. In view of what Christ has already done. In view of the perfect lamb, spotless, who was slain. In view of him. Now bring yourself. Your whole self. Every member of your body, bring it to him as a sacrifice to be laid down before him for his use, for his pleasure. And it will be acceptable. Because the sacrifice has already been accepted. It's Christ. And now we lay ourselves down in Christ and say, take me, God. He says, you're mine. You, you are acceptable. And it's only when we come through Christ who is that acceptable, perfect sacrifice. Romans 12.1 In view of God's mercy, I urge you, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. You're not just dying and you're done. You check the box. You, you've, you've mentioned Jesus before the throne and now you're done. It's a living sacrifice. It's an ongoing sacrifice of you bringing yourself to God saying, I'm yours. I'm yours. I'm for your use. I'm for your service. I want to stand in Christ. That's what it is. A living sacrifice. But here it is. Holy and pleasing. Or holy and acceptable. Holy. Holiness is not simply moral purity. Holiness is also consecration. It's being set apart for God and for God's service. You bring yourself to God and say, I am set apart for you. That's what a sacrifice is. I have taken this animal out of the flock and I've set it apart. This is God's. And I'm giving it to God. And I don't get to take it back. That's the idea of us coming by faith through the Lord Jesus Christ. is to God as a living sacrifice saying, I want to be set apart, consecrated, devoted to you and your ministry and your service. Whatever would please you. And part of that is that moral holiness and moral purity. That is the obedience of the faith that Paul mentioned. I want to be acceptable, but the amazing thing is the acceptance is not based on our own merit. It's by the mercies of God. It's by the grace of God. It's by the blood of the Lamb. By Christ. So that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable. He's saying, I want them to be clear. 
I'm going to remind them and remind them and remind them again. And I'm going to teach new Gentiles the gospel so that they may be clear that their offering is not of themselves. It's not of their own righteousness, of their own good deeds. So that their offering may be acceptable, it needs to be in Christ. It needs to be applied, he finishes, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. It needs to be purified by fire, by the Holy Spirit, by the washing of the water, of the words. It says that in John 17, when Jesus was praying for us, he asked God to sanctify us. To purify us, to wash away the unrighteousness, to, to cleanse our hearts. He says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. We have the word of God, the book of the Holy Spirit that speaks to us, that comes alive to us, that applies to us. And so the way that we are to be sanctified is through the word of God and the people of God. I love what he says in 2 Thessalonians 2.13. Says, we ought to thank God always for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because from the beginning, God has chosen you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and through belief in the truth. It is the Spirit's work of sanctification, it's the Spirit's work of purifying us, of making us holy of making us acceptable. Not that one day you're just like, right now you're currently unacceptable to God and one day he's going to just shine you up enough that God will accept you. It's not the way it is. We are declared holy. We're declared pure, perfect, accepted. Now the Holy Spirit is changing us and making us reflect that better and better day by day until one day the Holy Spirit by fire and through death will ultimately sanctify us. There will be no more sin, no more desire for evil. We will be sanctified by the Spirit of God. Only when we come in the acceptable sacrifice that is Christ. Sanctification is important. Not just ultimate one day, we'll just wait for the fact that we die and we'll be raised new creation. He says now that we're a new creation, Ought we not to reflect that? This is also what it means. So in Romans 12, 1, he says, live your life living sacrifice, holy. Worry about holiness and, and purity, not because God will reject you tomorrow if you're not holy, but because he so rightly deserves it. Because the, the lamb that was slain on your behalf, in your place, rightly deserves your holiness. He deserves to have all adoration pointing to him when you are purifying yourself because he is pure. Become holy because God is holy. The motivation is God, not acceptance to God. Our acceptance is already found. It's already secure. It's already final in Christ. But we come and we know that this is the will of God, our sanctification. Our sanctification, our being purified, our step by step growing in the likeness of Christ. But the beauty of it all is you realize where that comes from. Sanctified by your effort, by your maturity, by the time you put in as a Christian, by the amount of times you've read your Bible through, by the uh, amount of hours you spend praying, be sanctified by, by the Holy Spirit. Now here's the beauty. Those things I just mentioned, prayer, reading the Bible, going to church, being a Christian, 
Those are all nutrients that feed into uh, the, the growth, right? That, that's how we connect with God. That's how the Holy Spirit is alive in us and transforming us by the word as Jesus prayed for us. Right? We are transformed by these habits of grace, but we realize that it is only the Holy Spirit that produces that fruit. I love in Hebrews thirteen twelve, speaking of Christ, the high priest, says this. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate. He suffered outside the camp. In order, the reason was to sanctify the people through his own blood. He suffered outside the camp, away from the presence, the merciful presence of God, the glorious presence of God. He suffered outside the camp so that we wouldn't have to. As you read your Old Testament, as you read Exodus and Leviticus, and you see every time that those who were unclean, unpure, impure, had to be ostracized, cut off. They had to go outside the camp. They were rejected. Jesus did that on our behalf. He went outside the camp in order to sanctify us through his own blood. And we have this promise that he began the good work in us in Philippians 1.6. He will bring it to completion. He will bring it to completion. You don't have to be worried. And remember, we need reminders because we might walk away and say, well, I'm not sanctified. I don't feel any more holy today than I was a week ago. I actually feel worse. I feel like I've blown it more this year than I did last year. And then you just be discouraged and say, like, do I just give up? Do I not believe? But that's where it says that we ought to, uh, in, in 2 Thessalonians 2, where it said, uh, we are chosen for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and through belief in the truth. We believe the gospel and he sanctifies us. We believe the gospel and he sanctifies us. And belief in the gospel, obviously, is, is not just belief in the truth that I'm forgiven, but belief in the truth that I'm a new creation. And that God deserves my heart's affection and my holiness. We believe that. And then we are sanctified by the means of grace that God gives us. And we want that for our lives and for the lives of others. Paul said that was his desire. That's why he said in verse 15 and 16 here, I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace of God given me, to be a minister. I want to serve the purpose of Christ to the Gentiles specifically in the priestly service, in bringing them the gospel of God. So that the offering of the Gentiles, when they are finally offered in Christ, that it may be acceptable. That they're not offering of themselves or offering their own sacrifices or offering some, their children, but instead they're offering themselves in Christ. Galatians chapter 2, I, the, the life I now live, I live no longer, but the life I live, I live in Christ because I've been crucified with him. We offer our life in Christ. And this is acceptable. And this life is sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Have we seen sanctification in our lives? If not, why not? And it's mainly probably because of the means of grace that we've rejected or ignored. But ultimately, it's the Spirit's work. The Spirit's work in us. And again, we come back to this reminder that 
It is the acceptability of us before God is not found in our own righteousness or even our own sanctification. It's found in Christ, who was perfect lamb who was slain. So we stand in him, found in him, acceptable, perfect, welcome. And that's, that's a shock to some of us, that we could ever be welcomed to God. Knowing our own hearts, knowing our own inclinations, we think, I would never be welcome in the presence of a holy God. If he knew my heart, well, he does. But he knew the heart of Christ, the one who stood on your behalf, heart that was pure, heart that loved God perfectly. And Christ said, they are me, and I am them. It's amazing what Christ has accomplished on our behalf. So we need not be overwhelmed, but instead we believe and we encourage one another, we remind one another, we instruct one another in the areas where we may be trusting in ourselves or trusting in the system or trusting in this world. We point each other through all of that. We, we come enter into this priestly service to one another in bringing each other the gospel of God. That there in the gospel alone is where we're acceptable and there is where God promises to sanctify us. Sanctify us in your truth. Your word is truth. Let me pray for us. Well, Father, you are holy and good. You are acceptable, uh, that we are acceptable only in your sight because Christ has stood on our behalf. God, what a privilege, what a gift. And it's all by your grace, as Paul uh, accounts here, that it is by grace alone and through our faith and, and our trust and our, our, our lack of pride before the cross that we come. And we're so thankful that um, this message is not a payment system where we have to do something. Instead, we must trust and believe. It's it is so not a human idea. It's not an idea that makes any sense on this earth. It is, as uh, 1 Corinthians tells us, it's foolishness to those who are perishing. But God, this message to us is power. It's power because we are so plagued by our own sinful hearts. We're so plagued by uh, wicked reminders in ourselves that we need the gospel. And we thank you for it. We thank you for those who surround us, who know the gospel, who might remind us of the gospel. Thank you for Paul and his, his tireless service towards these specific people that he desired to love and for them to see and know that they are accepted because of Christ. Help us to know the same truth, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.